Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig Hanks, your host. And if I sound, well, deeper and more sultry than normal, it's just because I'm sick as a dog. So, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Today, we're talking about uh, the process of collaboration uh, between a couple of authors um, and, and illustrators. When we're when we talk about collaboration, we're talking today about graphic novels, games, that sort of thing. And this is a really cool follow-up to a discussion I had a few weeks ago with Samit Basu, an Indian author uh, who was on the show. So if you missed that episode, go check it out. It was really, really good. But I'm joined today by Todd. Todd, say hello. Hello. Yeah, finish your drink and then say hello. Good job. All <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not going to spray all over uh, the computer Todd- screen. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd and I are welcoming uh, Nadia Shamas and Marie Anger. Hello. Nadia, say Hello. Hello. And Marie. Hello. And so uh, we appreciate you guys joining us uh, for this discussion. You two have collaborated on a new project that is coming out uh, very, very soon. October 18th is the anticipated date. We'll see if that's the actual real date of publication. But it's a graphic novel called Where Black Stars Rise. Now, I'm going to ask you more specifically about that so that uh, those of our listeners who you know, love a good graphic novel will, you know, they'll get the elevator pitch for this. But we're going to wait for a little bit later in the episode. First, I, I do want to get to know just a little bit of background uh, about both of you, if you wouldn't mind, again, elevator pitch style, give us your bio, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this world. Let's start with you, Marie. Uh, so I started off doing animation, but I ended up switching over to comics pretty soon after. Um, starting that career and ever since then I've just kind of done whatever needs to be done I started coloring I started off lettering doing like basic little graphic design fixes here and there on comics and from there I started doing a lot more like crafting work with story and drawing stuff and from there I started doing more inking stuff Um, and eventually like 10 years after all of that started I had a body of work that (laughs) that was large enough to consider like like a bibliography. So I'm actually just starting to write all that stuff out. Um, and Where Black Stars Rise, ironically, is not the first book that I finished, um, but it's the first book that's coming out. So it's gonna be the first one on top of that bibliography, I guess. Um, but I also do work on an all ages book called Under Kingdom, which is like a YA dungeon crawler sort of thing. And a, another YA book called Controlled Burn, which is not a dungeon crawler, um, and then I do a game called Cassia Land, which is like a dark horror Western sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of what I've been up Very to. nice. Very nice. I, I will say a couple of things about Marie. First of all, your website, uh, so-angry.com is a fantastic pun. <laughs> uh, but if you go there, here's, here's what I love about this. I go to the about page, Marie Anger, and it's got your picture on it. And when you showed up, for the recording you look just like your about me page <laughs> which is so rare with um, <laughs> authors and artists and other people that we get on here so that's just of note I all right change, nadia. so i've never changed my hair <laughs> there you go <laughs> nadia tell us a little bit about yourself um yeah so uh i guess i started off as just um someone who was i had done a marvel internship 
in college. And I always knew that I wanted to be a writer or work with stories. But uh, in college, I decided to like, oh, you know what, maybe writing's not for me. Maybe I'll go into editorial instead. So I started in comics actually trying to make it as like an editor. But then uh, the more I worked with people, the more I realized that like, actually, no, writing was my true passion. I was just too afraid to do it. Um, so then I kind of made the switch to writing. And uh, it's funny because I'm actually mostly known for my YA work. Um, I am the co-creator of Squire, which is a uh, Middle Eastern uh, fantasy YA graphic novel that came out earlier this year, which was like my debut graphic novel. And it was co-created with uh, the artist Sarah Alfaji. And um, yeah, that's kind of, and I also did uh, Ms. Marvel Stretch Thin, for which was in collaboration between uh, Marvel and Scholastic, and I co-created that with uh, Nebi Ali. Um, and so, yeah, I'm mostly known for my kids' work and not really a lot of my horror work, but, you know, horror was kind of like a little passion that burned inside me that kind of started consuming all of my work and interests. And now it's kind of like a big thing that I just kind of see like I am exploring it in different mediums even. I'm doing a lot of like short horror prose work. And as for games, I kind of like was tiptoeing around the game industry, kind of trying to learn a lot about it. And then uh, now I'm working on this great game called Thirsty Suitors, which is basically like uh, the tagline is... Um, you know, fight your exes, disappoint your parents, find yourself. And so why, I why feel like that's just... It <laughs> yeah, and it's basically, it's basically like kind of about this, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, Sri Lankan Indian girl who kind of blows up her life, leaves, and then has to come back home at the start of the game to basically face everyone that she's, you know, wronged her family and it sounds, exes it mostly. It sounds incredibly fun. Oh, actually, no, it yeah, is, it though. That's the thing. Fun. It's actually, it's like, it's very, you know, it's kind of like, it's got a lot of Scott Pilgrim in there with kind of the fighting the exes, <laughs> but also like with the just kind of over the top visual style. And like the music is totally upbeat and insane. And it's just like this magical world and kind of everything's just a little bit like heightened reality yeah. in it. So that's fun. But I guess Eldritch Horror, <laughs> to bring it back to that. Which which is, um, we should say, where black stars rise. This is an Eldritch Horror yes. graphic novel. Yes. So that's, yeah, why you keep going and it back is my And it's my first like adult work out there right. uh, with Marie. Yeah. Right. Now, and, and I, with Nadia, the thing that people should know, if you're just listening, then you don't know this. If you're watching on YouTube, then that's great. But Nadia has headphones with cat ears. And a T-shirt that says "Music by John Carpenter," just in case you wondered if you know, like I, I want that GIF. One of us, one of us. Yeah. really, really belongs here on this podcast. Um, and thank you, thank you, Todd. I would ask you to, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, but we know way too much. Yeah, about nobody it, so. really cares, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe Nadia and no, I, I already learned better. your your biggest secret earlier I would, today. No, I would love to. T- yeah. Uh, so all I know about you is that you have a lovely infectious laugh. You're going to lie about Todd. Go. Uh, okay, elevator pitch for Todd. Um, actually, after looking at both of your websites and doing some uh, poking around, I found some things uh, from from both of those that I really am just thrilled with, uh, and and that I feel some very kinship for. Uh, Nadia, I have uh, Lada diabetes, so I've been a type two for twenty years, and then they oh. said last week, "Oops." 
we guessed wrong, uh, which is delightful. And now I'm on insulin and it's a, it's a totally different situation. So we share that in common. Oh my God. Um, I'm yeah. a, this is news to me. Todd, I, I did learn something about uh, you today. This is delightful. <laughs> yeah, oh it's God. been uh it's 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 been one more thing um in, in an interesting life. Uh I'm an educator at heart, uh, but I'm a comic book fan from early, early years. And so anything graphic novel or comic has always been interesting to me. And um while I would not classify myself as a devotee of horror. I am a fan of very cleverly written and cleverly portrayed things. Um, if you think um, uh, Bruce Campbell's Living Dead, uh, that's evil dead. That, and I know for a lot of people, they're like, "Dude, that's comedy. That's not horror." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but that's about that's that's a gateway drug." His life was ruined. His life was over. <laughs> All his friends are dead. Oh my god! I, it's it's like horror. it's like watching uh, it's like watching Cabin in the Woods and going. Right, but it's not scary, and it's like, well, I don't know. There are parts of it that it can, they're plenty yeah, scary. It's, like it's a uh, yeah. At least like, look, if we have to watch someone die a horribly gory way, I would way rather watch it be funny instead of like yeah. watch someone in a saw bear trap in a basement. I like this better. It's yeah. more funny to me. I um, and then I don't have to I, think uh, about it. <laughs> yeah, I recently watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, and it's amazing. It's so funny. And it's so, like, actively, you know, like, people in the theater did scream. <laughs> and it wasn't, like, a cheap scream either. And it was just, but it was, like, so genuinely funny. And I think that there is, I don't know, it was it was great. Just horror and comedy is great. You know, Marie, uh, you did, like, this you, incredible, I mean, we met with your uh, Photogon and Loathing. Mm -hmm. My one of my past self-published works was a one crazy night parody called Photogon and Loathing, which had three guys basically just get too drunk and fall through a hole in space and time and try to get back. And it was just one crazy night, but in the plane of Lorraine. Sounds like a pretty good Wednesday to me. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I wish I had time. Like that's always what kills comic projects is just like, you gotta do, you gotta yeah. do what you need to do to pay the bills and the funny stuff. Hmm. Has to has to fall by so the wait, you mean as as creatives, you guys have bills that you have to pay like the rest of us normal humans? <laughs> yes. Oh man, yes, they're quite high. <laughs> personally, every uh, we and we deserve more money every... to pay those high high bills. Oh yes, um, as do oh, as yeah. do all of Absolutely. all creatives. I'm assuming with their high high bills. We keep the world. That's running. right. Support the show at uh, yeah. patreoncom slash legendarium. <laughs> high high bills for the legendarium. <laughs> That's right. You know, there's this rumor going around that, you know, every time someone likes an artist's Twitter post, they receive $1,000, and I'm here to debunk it. <laughs> Exposure, actually. The harrowing part is when doesn't you, pay shit. you ask a famous friend of yours to put, like, a special link to their your Kickstarter on their Twitter, and they get a million likes on it and three clicks. It's all very Yeah, oh, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay, so tell me a little bit about how the two of you ended up working together and how long this journey has been. This is as we ease our way into talking about yeah. collaboration as a concept. Um, we met in 2018 yeah. at Emerald City. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Christoph, introduced each other, introduced us to each other, but then we ended up at like an, I think it was an emerging creators breakfast or new creators breakfast, some sort of yeah. like yeah. thing um, that you would apply to and mm -hmm. you would go and kind of network with other people who were 
um, just starting yeah. out or kind of like, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I think that we kind of connected through like our interests mm -hmm. and kind of just general stuff we liked and, and general, like, I don't know, art we mm -hmm. liked. Um, uh, and I think that, uh, you had done like this kind of King and yellow sketch and just kind of posted it up online. And I was super taken with it because I was like in the middle of rereading mm -hmm. it. Um, and, and then we just kind of started talking about like, I don't know, Eldritch Horror. And also Marie introduced me to like a lot of really incredible stuff. Uh, Marie, uh, introduced me to the Ballad of Black Tom and, uh, my friend Danny Lore, who is also like a totally incredible, uh, creator who does a lot of excellent mm -hmm. horror work, um, introduced me to like Hammers on Bone and that kind of stuff. So like, yeah, so kind of just kind of by like, I don't know, I guess sharing interests, I think that this kind of grew out of that. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because uh, those those types of little events happen all the time, whether it's at Emerald City Comic Con or, you know, take your pick, any any number of places, where if, you, if your mind is open, if your heart is open, if you're ready to collaborate with somebody, then the opportunities are out there, right? Mm -hmm. Now, have have both of you or either of you done a lot of solo work as well outside of collaborating or do you tend to enjoy collaborating more the bulk of my or work do it is more. solo work um yeah. but i think that's con i think that's more common for like i don't know would you say like more common for cartoonists to have a, like a larger bulk of solo co like comic work but i don't i also don't write yeah, like hardly I... any prose at all because i need the images so my body of prose is is probably pretty small compared to yours um yeah no i i would definitely say that kind of cartoonists have uh, a lot just a lot more solo yeah. work just because you know the, uh, in comics a lot of the uh you know marie could definitely talk about this a lot of the labor goes on the artist side um it's like incredibly uneven actually um and uh as a you know it's it's a huge problem in the industry but um yeah, and, and so I would say that cartoonists, they you you all know how to do every aspect of the comics creation, so therefore you're kind of able to do it. But when you are, you know, I'm a writer, I don't feel comfortable drawing my own work, so I uh, tend to kind of go towards collaboration. But that also suits me because I think I do better collaborating with other people. I think that actually bouncing ideas back and forth is a huge part of my process. Nadia, I was, I, I'm, I'm a little bit curious. You, you bring up that, that idea of bouncing ideas. I was reading through, uh, the, uh, on your website, you had a, uh, yelling at God. I can't remember the, the actual title of it about, uh, Frankenstein about Mary Shelley. Oh yeah, and and as I was uh, reading through that, I found some really interesting visuals. Um, one of them, where um, your your protagonist is talking about writing being this process of trying to fill the world, and there was an image of dropping into an ocean. And I and I said to myself, mm -hmm. I, I get where this is going. Was this are are those the kind of things that you say? Here's what I imagine, and then let the illustrator go, or does they? How, do you have a tendency to let them try things first and show you things and you say, oh, I like this one, go with that instead? No, I think that I try to write my scripts 
one, cater to the artist I'm working with if I have the opportunity to know who I'm working with ahead of time. And so I try to kind of like include stuff that they like to draw. I try to include references, but I kind of see my scripts as like, most importantly, giving the kind of energy and the vibe more so than um, like hard art direction. Like I try to think visually just to make it easier so that I'm not asking for, you know, impossible actions. So, or I try to kind of give like suggestions, like I'm thinking it could look like this, but none of it is like a hard and fast rule. I think that uh, artist as a co-creator, you know, and again, like Marie would be the best one to talk about this, but yeah, uh, the artist as a co-creator is, is their own person. They are interpreting the script and then like rewriting that visually. Yeah, Marie, when you get a script, do you, I guess, uh, I guess the first question would be, how does it usually come? And then the second question would be, how do you like it to come? Uh, well, what I mean is, <laughs> There's the there's the classic kind of two column script. Okay, a writer gives you thing, the thing. This is what the text is mm -hmm. going to say, and this is what the visuals are like next to it. This is what you know, movie scripts and yeah. commercial scripts and whatnot look like. This two columns. There, there's that versus like here's a block of prose, and, uh, and do with it what you will. What what do you what do you usually get? What do you like to get? Uh, well, I think only one of them works for me very well. And I think Nadia can probably attest to that. Uh, my art style is pretty chaotic. Um, I would call it maximalist for sure. Uh, and if you try to give me a lot of very heavy, like stage direction, you will get something that looks very, very dead. Um, but if you give me the vibe or like you set this scene. So I think there were like periods in Carcosa where like, and obviously, like, the, I mean, you don't have the book in front of you, so you can't see, but we've seen the book in our heads uh, and on our computer screens, so we know. There were lots of moments where I think you were just like, and they go across this beautiful landscape, and it looks different than the last one. And you gave me a lot of really open interpretations to just kind of be like, oh, maybe we saw a grassland earlier, maybe now I'll do, like, a pile of ruins. Or I think one of them was, like... Um, they were going through like a series of caves and you were very vague about what the cave might look like. And so it ended up being yeah. very fleshy colored, which wasn't necessarily in the script, but ended up working really well as like a color change throughout the yeah, story. Yeah, I loved, I, I loved that. I loved the fleshy rock. That was, that was fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I loved that. In that book that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> that fleshy rock. Wait, guys, you won't believe what you'll see. There's a fleshy rock in this book. It's disgusting. <laughs> Um, and it's one of many sites. One of many sites that we can show you. Many disgusting sites. They're actually okay. We didn't put anything gross in there. Everything is like artistic and pleasant, and not like gore and pus and blood. I state I don't typically yeah. like drawing those things, and so I I tend to go for the artful like blood pool on the ground, and someone steps in it, and that's the amount of violence that you get. So yeah, right on. Well. Tell me then, uh, and maybe this will go to Nadia first, about the challenges in storytelling in a collaborative environment versus a solo environment. As a writer, what do you see as the, uh, as the challenges and the benefits of, of you know, it, it, the either or the versus solo work? Hmm. That's like, that's a good question. And I guess for me, just personally, because I... 
yeah, I feel like I, I just do better kind of having collaborators, just kind of having someone who can, you know, understand and elevate. And I guess like just kind of, you know, when you have something that is totally in your head, um, it can be really hard to be flexible with it. It can be really difficult to allow it to kind of like, you know, to actually take form because you have this perfect version of it in your head. But when you're working with someone else, they kind of push you out of that comfort zone, you know, and you get to be, you get to make something that is like more than you and different than you with other people. Mm. You yeah, know, that's really it's, interesting. It's, it's um, it yeah. r- reminds me. It's it's not not just about you know getting somebody else to to co-sign a work, so to speak. You know, like two bylines on a news article or whatever. Uh, but it's this is why even solo writers, novelists, have writing groups. Yeah, it's not just yeah. about uh, you know somebody helping you with your prose styling or whatever. It, it's the entire thing. You you read each other's works in this writing group and and you help each other kind of flesh out these ideas and bring them out of your mind. Yeah. I kind of can't speak for other people, but I feel like it's just kind of when I get an idea, it just germinates for a really long time. And then I try to figure out like, is this an idea that I like, like what, what I like, what medium is this? Like, is this like a small little idea that I want to, you know, work on by myself? And does it like feel better in prose? Does it, does prose have, because prose has like a, a different texture than uh, a comic or a game or, you know what I mean? It's each form of writing has its own um, way that you want to interact with the audience and method of creation. So I feel like, whether or not I want to collaborate has less of a saying on how I work more so than like, what is the best version of this work that can be. And then when I know that I want something in a, like as a comic, or let's say I'm like, someday this is going to be a game. Then at that point, I just kind of carry that in my pocket until I find someone who I feel like can share that vision. But I will say that for where Black Stars Rise and where Marie, you know, it was just, uh, I, I was inspired by the work that Marie was already doing and the kind of conversations we were already having. So sometimes I, you know, see someone and I'm like, that person, I wanna, I wanna see what I can make with them. And um, I, you know, that's what makes where Black Stars Rise special. Mm-hmm. Nice. Marie, let me kick the question over to you as well. What what do you find to be the most challenging and rewarding part of collaboration? Well, I work alone a lot of the time. Like I said, a lot of my work up until really outside of where Black Stars Rise and Under Kingdom, I've, I've not collaborated with a lot of people. I'm really choosy about who I work with. I'm... Um, I'm very used to kind of just being by myself and doing my own thing. And so it was challenging for me to give up that level of control of being alone and having kind of just, you know, if I write something for myself and I decide that halfway through that it doesn't work or it's too wordy, I can just cut that out myself. But it's, it's really disrespectful to alter someone's work without discussing it with them first. And so in like a collaboration setting, it would have to be like, we would have to go back and forth and try to figure out what the right way for this to work would be. And it can be really difficult, especially if you've spent like 10 hours on a page or 12 hours on a page to say, 
it doesn't work, it has to be restarted, or it's, it's visually confusing, it has to be restarted. And if it was just me, I could justify that in my head and be like, ah, it's a stylistic choice. I did it on purpose. It's mysterious. <laughs> but like with an editor and a collaborator, they can see through that excuse so quickly. And then they just tell me to fix it. So I have to. Um, <laughs> and I, I maybe normally wouldn't if I was doing it myself. And so it's been interesting over the course of working on Where Black Stars Rise, which I worked on at the same time as I actually worked on Under Kingdom, which again is like a, a rapidly different book. I, I do a lot of horror, but I also do um, like weird creatures and stoner comedy. So it, this is kind of more in those lines. And so they were a really radically different feel. And I would switch days where I'd work on Under Kingdom on Mondays, because Monday's a hard day, Mondays and Wednesdays. So I started off right. And then Tuesday, Thursday was where black stars rise and it was interesting seeing kind of who was pulling me back in what direction and who was correcting certain things and kind of getting the getting a very different perspective on collaboration by working just simply on two very different projects the needs for horror are very different than the needs for um like a kid's book about you don't say <laughs> well it's, you know it was interesting because like you know with with the all ages stuff it was always make it more simple bring it back hmm. simpler shapes but with carcosa especially it was what can we do to be so unsettling um you know and there's a sequence carcosa of the... being well you'll find out when you read the book <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. all right i just want to make sure i mean all on look the same i wouldn't advise going there but since you've seen dead scent on it you'll see it when you read the book and up yeah. until then, like we were working on, I think a series where our main character was in a therapist's office for a period of time. And yeah. with that one, the, the setting was so similar. A lot of the direction that I got from Nadia and our editors was how do we make this seem lively? How do we make them have their personalities here? Who's leaning forward? Who's leaning back? And I maybe wouldn't have thought about that kind of stuff on my own had I not mm. been talking with other people who were giving me kind of kind directions yeah todd do you have any thoughts questions feelings musings um you're one of the one of the things that i and and maybe this is going in a totally different direction uh but i i see it uh connected i'm a i tend to do some acting some theater stuff uh, i'm currently in a show right now and so i'm always thinking about um some of the uh some of actor portrayals and actor changes are there any uh, of the works that you've done, uh, I mean, obviously, Black Stars Rise uh, is probably one that you're saying, yeah, this would be really great if it would get a movie deal. Uh, but if there were any of your pieces that you've made, um, are, are there ones that you would say, you know, these I think would make for uh, either a good short or a good film that I'd love to see somebody pick it up and run with it? The answer to that question um like, it sucks because like I, I i think again like for me the only answer that i have for you is where black stars rise i don't necessarily think that the work that i create i create to be adaptable okay a lot of it's just comics and when you do comics especially when you're doing comics by yourself and no one's there to rein you in you start doing just like weird crazy stuff you can't afford the animation budget um <laughs> but with black stars you know we've got a large part it takes place in new york so that would be a pretty easy mm -hmm. film set to have. And then it takes place in a basement theater, and that would be pretty easy to make look like the comic. We set that up pretty well. Yeah. All of our props yep. are pretty cheap. 
um, bathrobe. <laughs> you need like, well, like, think about it. You need one therapist. Marie's office. just pitching. Marie's just like pitching we, right we now. We need money. <laughs> Legend, Legendary Studios got, presents. Uh, yeah. When, when we're ready, I, I want to audition. Can I just be an extra in the background? Yeah, yeah. No, you're in. Uh, Look, we, everyone on. How good are you are throwing up? <laughs> I'm, I'm talented at that. <laughs> we'll give you whatever, especially Great. health insurance. That's yeah. the most important part. Whoever picks up this this theoretical movie we're doing, everyone on the crew and everyone who worked on it, they get health insurance forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the That's pitch. It. It's very cheap to make, but most of the budget is going to be just health insurance forever. We've all got, we're all very sick, but we want to be well. So (laughs) I know. Um, Um, Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, Just because, yeah, I would definitely agree that I think where Black Stars Rise would make a great movie. And I'm not just saying that because I want the movie money, but I, but I'm, but you know, every point that Marie makes is totally true is that it's like, there's New York, there's underground basement, there's Carcosa, which could be, you know, which is very uh, fluid. Midwest, throwing a beach, throwing a pomegranate tree at the end. And I think that, you know, it's, uh, and, and, and honestly, I think it's just so beautiful and abstract and, and, you know, A24, if you're listening, <laughs> um, I think that this could be your next green night. So <laughs> I think you mean no, just, <laughs> I know, every, I know everyone's turned on everything else that they've done, but my heart only beats for Nosferatu. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen Nosferatu. Um, I I would also year. say, um, selfishly, that I would love to see, and I say I would love to see uh, Squire. That would get be like epic. A, Very epic. I indeed. would love to see Squire get like a Game of Thrones style TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to see. The, I want my yeah. life to get a Game of Thrones style TV show. I think. Um, I think there's an adaptation to be made. I, everything, every everybody should get their own Game of Thrones. It's like health insurance. You know, everyone gets their own maybe mini-series? we start treating it like a, a right. But everyone somewhere. gets their own mini series. I think that's called YouTube, and I think it went real bad for a lot of I people. I was gonna say, is that not TikTok? <laughs> Ooh, we don't need that. I would way rather watch Squire than Game of Thrones. Full stop. Like its subject matter is of interest to me. The landscapes are beautiful. The character designs are very cool and not bland. Sorry to everyone who likes Game of Thrones, but I love the color. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. You know, that was no, uh, that was to- actually the, so legendarium side tangent time. We do this all the time. I just found out that that was like George Martin's big, uh, his big uh, piece of feedback for House of the Dragon. He was like, oh, yeah, Game of Thrones was great, but everything was so muted. Uh, everything was so gray, and so all the costumes and colors and whatnot in House of the Dragon are a lot brighter. Awesome! Now. They could have just made so Squire instead. So, <laughs> that's my pitch to HBO slash Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus, instead. yeah, yeah. All um, right. Oh, sorry. Go on, Nadia. Oh no, I was just gonna say uh, I mentioned Photogen Loathing earlier, but I think it's because it's still one of my favorite things on earth. So, like, I would see that I, as a TV show, just an ongoing like money, what we, we do in the like what we do in the shadow style, like you know, they could have it all. They could have it all. They, they just could talk to me. <laughs> they could. Uh, all right, so let me ask you this question. This will take it in a little bit different direction, possibly. But we've been talking about collaborating. Um, and its benefits, its drawbacks, and whatnot. But what are the the 
what are those benefits and challenges when it comes to collaboration? Uh, and what are the differences when it comes to different types of collaboration? So you guys are doing a graphic novel or you've done one, it's coming mm-hmm. out. But you've also, you have experience in games and other, other kinds of collaboration. What, what are some of the unique things that people might not think about? You know, this is a challenge or this is a reward when it comes to this type of collaboration. So I don't collaborate a lot on game stuff. Um, I collaborate on comics. And again, like it's, I collaborate with people that I want to work with or the project interests me really, really heavily. Um, But a lot of the game work I do is work for hire. And so it's like, they give me something that they think I'll be good at drawing based on what I've drawn before. And again, since I draw like a lot of horror stuff and stoner comedy stuff, I tend to do almost explicitly those sort of um, tabletop RPG sort of work. Uh, but it's it's just given to me. Someone gives me a brief and I go and then I quote them a price and they get as many edits as they've paid for and then it's done. Um, all my game stuff that I do collaboratively is like through an editorial perspective. Um, I have a, a like a management company that helps me kind of figure out what I need to do for like shipping and printing and getting all of that stuff taken care of. So that's a collaboration of its own sort, but not creatively necessarily and then i have a couple people who help me with edits and things like that and game testing but that's also different too because any notes that they come back with are notes that i have to to address alone um so i i I feel so bad i can't really speak to those it's it's different when you're an artist you don't have as many options to collaborate because your time is spent doing one or two collaborations every year makes a lot of sense what about you nadia true um uh, I would say, so I started working in games just a few months ago, kind mm. of like officially I got my first kind of job in games. Before that, I was just kind of trying to learn about it. I was asking a lot of questions. I was messing around with in like Twine myself with kind of my own thing. Um, and so I got this job where I'm working with a small team, which is, I think, the biggest blessing you could ever ask for in games is to work with a small team because that just means less bureaucracy. That means everything's more direct. And that also means that kind of the creative decisions you make have less opportunity to be undermined in a corporate setting. Um, so I would say that in games, it's interesting because it's a whole it's a whole other skill. It's like a whole other part of your brain um, to do like... I guess, uh, like, choice-based dialogue, mm. right? Or to just kind of be like, you know, I think that for for comics and for games, you know, and for all art, it's about, like, how can the... Uh, how can the kind of reader or viewer like engage with the work, take up the space? And, like, in games, that way that they kind of engage with the space is like so different than in a comic like in a comic you have you know page turns you have like double page spreads but you're limited there's like the economy of a page there's no sound you have to create senses out of like sequential storytelling and a page turn you know um and that's kind of the way in which a person interacts uh, and that's kind of the space you get to play with. And when games, like uh, I'm working on like a 3D, you know, RPG action, like comedy game. And that's, you know, like characters are going to be running around and engaging with NPCs and making choices. And all of those choices have to feel equally valid 
and I guess what I'm saying about the collaboration aspect that you wouldn't expect is that like, it's just about, I think how you like, like different aspects of what the work needs creates different conditions for collaboration, you know? And I think that like with every collaboration I do, I, you know, I get better at it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I love what you said about, um, what you call it? Choice based dialogue. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of, uh, reading the garden of forking paths. Did anybody ever read that? Jorge Luis Borges. Fantastic little short story. It's, uh, but it, you know, it's all about how do you create this piece of art that accounts for every possible fork yeah. in the path, you know, and you every really time like you make it, a choice, it creates another. Yeah. It's really great. That's sad. Yeah. No, that does sound like something I'd really like. So Todd, I, I am planning to move on to, uh, uh, to where black stars rise in just a moment, but do you have any other final questions about this subject of collaboration, et cetera? I'd be, I'd, I'd actually be curious to know if there are, I mean, if, if, if you're saying to yourself as you're falling asleep one night, gee, it would be nice if tomorrow morning, this person were to call me and ask to collaborate. Um, have you ever thought about those kinds of opportunities? Marie, no. you're saying no. No, if no. You, if, I, you, if you name it, it might run away. No, right? it, no, and it's not even that. Like I, I, I get, I really do understand like the want for that sort of thing. And I think for a lot of people that can be a really boon to your career. Like there is a reason that people want that sort of thing. And it's because having someone that collaborates with you who can help you bring notoriety, especially when you're at, at a career level like us, where it's still a struggle to get people to respect you. And I think for a long time in comics, it's been that way, especially if you're not like a cis straight guy. But I think for us, we should be given the chance to pick our collaborators amongst a pool of ourselves and form personal relationships with them so we can create the best work possible. If like I, I like Mike McNoll's work a whole lot. I love Hellboy. I have Ape Sap Sapien tattooed on my arm. But if he called me tomorrow and said, I want to work with you, I would say no. I don't know him. I don't know what it's like to work with him. I don't know if we'd work well together. We might fight a lot. We might have really different like, ethics. I don't know. Morals. Like, There's all sorts of things that can come into play. And you never know what you'll fight about. I appreciate and, that. Yeah. Like... Yeah. I want like I my whole thing my my career path unfortunately is just I want to cockroach it till I'm done I want to draw forever it's the thing that I'm best at it's unfortunately as someone you know in our book we talk a lot about mental illness but I have a mental illness and it's steady employment for me it's a way to make sure that I always have a job to have this skill and if I work with someone who's got a huge name they're only going to remember that guy especially if it's a guy like there's, there's no chance for me to be remembered then. And what, what good does that do me? I'm still back exactly where I was the hand for someone else's words. I would much rather have a, a collaboration with someone like Nadia or Kristoff who are in my same sort of boat and share the kind of desire to bring people up the ladder instead of keep them down. We have to have each other's back in this community because no one else will. And the only way to do that is through building the community and finding the collaborators who work with you organically. That doesn't always mean they're going to be the biggest name either way, but that's what we got to do. Cool. I appreciate that. No, that's so real. Like that's very real. No. Um, I think that even like where I've been very recently, like within the last month has been like letting go of kind of like certain 
goals that you might have like in that you had at the very beginning of your career and you think like these are the goals that I need to reach to know that I made it and I've been like in the process of kind of shedding those and letting those go and I think that that's like a very real thing that happens in kind of our industry is that it just you can put yourself in bad situations by having goals about being like if I reach here if I work with this person if I do this like then I will be undeniable as a as a person who gets to be here who's allowed to be here who's worth being here but that's just like that's just a stupid game and it's not how any of it works you know so I think that that's like a very real and and like genuinely important thing to kind of mention in in those kind of conversations not to say that there aren't people that I'm like oh I love this person's work if they wanted to work to me I would be so stoked to see what we could come up with together and that's mostly how I how I find collaborators is that I like find people who like I art is good and then if honestly our personalities get along and it seems like I don't know, it seems like we want to do something together, then that's kind of it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a good question, Todd. So Yeah, that's a really good question. I want to move into uh, where Black Stars rise, uh, but I want to lead into it with a, a specific question, uh, with a specific question, and listeners of this show will know exactly where this comes from. We have a, an author's shelf series where authors will pull a book off of their shelf uh, that was influential or impactful to them sometime in their career that kind of informed who they are, what they write, uh, you know, how they write, that sort of thing. So as we get into your pitch for Where Black Stars Rise, why don't you each tell me if you were to pull something off of your shelf now of any type of media that, that was impactful for you, that was massively influential to your choices, to your, you know, your artistic sensibilities in, in whatever way, what would that be? Can I come back real quick? I'll BRB. <laughs> yeah, yeah Nadia, right you, you take it first if you want. Yeah, one sec. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's a, that's a big question because I'm trying to think about, I don't know, there's a, there's a few of them, right? I think- well, And it, it, can be, it can be basic, right? It doesn't have to be, yeah. you don't have to come up with some like out of left field, oh, nobody will ever have heard of this. Like, no, no, no. Like when I, I was 15, right, yeah, I went give, and saw the Fellowship you, of the Ring. And, no, no, and no. Was, let me, yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me give you a few. I would say one of them is definitely the His Dark Material series mm. by Philip Pullman. Uh, massively influential to me as like a young reader who was in Catholic school for most of my life. Mm. Um, and who like had a lot of like religious based and fears uh i would say that his dark materials was huge for me and um that would say that would be like i would say dark knight by uh genuinely the movie like a the a24 movie i watched that and i was like yep that's that's what i'm going to spend the rest of my life striving to make is like this kind of like something that makes me feel the like the way that i feel when i watched the green knight like that's like that's a that's gonna that's like a big art you know art goal. And the last thing I'm gonna say is comics wise, I would say this one summer by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki. Um, both of them, uh, I think their comics making in that is so so beautiful, and I I learned a lot. Um, specifically for uh, where Black Stars Rise, 
also going to point out Emily Carroll's work. Uh, I looked through Emily Carroll's work many times as I was scripting just to kind of like feel how she fucking that. You know what I mean? With yeah. Marie, what about you? That was you? a lot of answers. You had Sorry. to you had to you had something in mind. I mean, you went on a hunt well, on your bookshelves, no, I, I think. I thought about this was so you know, I I was like I got to have these questions so I don't grandpa Simpson on everybody. But when I ran away, I thought it was cuz it was only books initially for show and tell. And I was like, well, mm. what I have is not a book, so I'll go pick a different thing. So originally what I chose, and I did bring, I wasn't sure if we'd be recording or not, Notes from the Shadowed City by Jeffrey Allen Love. Uh, when I was experimenting with the first Where Black Stars Rise iteration, I used a lot of stuff from his book to inspire mark making and shape design for our book. This is where people can really get a lot of value yeah. out of tuning in on YouTube. So if you're listening <laughs> on the podcast, yeah, like, look at his book. holding up pages. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can buy it anymore either. So it's your loss. But yeah, Jeffrey Allen Love, a uh, very amazing book. But the other thing, and truly like the one thing that's inspired my art forever and everything that I've done has been this album by World Inferno Friendship Society called The True Story of the Bridgewater Astral League. And a lot of people know it now because it got popular with Night in the Woods. But uh, it was my favorite album all through high school and all through college, and it's what made me want to draw. So whenever I don't want to draw, I listen to that album, and it makes me want to draw again. So that's it. I think I think we should all have something like that. Todd, <laughs> do you have something yeah. like that? Uh, if you need inspiration? for uh, Yeah, actually, uh, as Marie was talking about that, I have uh, I, I had an experience with the original Star Wars soundtrack by John Williams. Uh, it was the third vinyl album I owned. And when, when life sucks, when I am stuck, when I feel like I don't have what I need, I go... This is absolutely a song lyric, by the uh, way. <laughs> when life sucks, we need to, when uh, we need to write that me. down so that I can use that in the next uh, sea shanty <laughs> that I write. Um, yeah. That is... Uh, that, that album for me continues to be the one that I pull out. Um, particularly, in, in fact, my daughter is kind of sick of it because we will, we will be watching one of the, one of the many star Wars iterations that are going on right now. And something will be played. That's a theme from that original piece, like princess Leia's theme or uh, Luke Skywalker's theme. And I will lean over to my daughter and I'll say, I remember when I first heard that. And she's like, yeah, dad, no, no, <laughs> stop. Fine. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, I, I think mine is Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens. Oh, yeah. Pe people yeah. love him. Yeah. I, yeah and I really love that album. The, uh, of course, as long as we're sharing first albums or, you know, close to first album, the first album I ever bought, you guys, it was uh, it, like set me on a life path that I've never turned from. And it was uh, Arthur's very first not real, almost live CD or tape. From the PBS cartoon, Arthur. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But it, yeah. wait, it was my first no, album. No, I just was like, wait a minute. But is that <laughs> real? Because I believed you. I've been. This I've is been, a real yeah. thing. I've it's been, a real thing. I've been and, tricked. Uh, no, it is a real thing. It exists. And I have every word of that album memorized to this day. Awesome. That's not bad. You could, you um, could have worse things memorized. <laughs> yeah. Arthur, it's great fun. Arthur it's, grew up to be a cartoonist, I think. He writes comics now, really? doesn't he? Yeah, and the like, in the like time skip. I have no they did. idea. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, I don't. I think he did. That's funny. There you go. There you go. All right. So, where black stars rise, 
now that we've gotten to know you, we've gotten to know some of your origin story, so to speak. Tell us a little bit about this. Give us the elevator pitch for what this story is and uh, what, what, why people should go pick it up on October 18th. Uh, yeah, so um, Where Black Stars Rise is an adult eldritch graphic novella uh, that is um, basically about this uh, recent immigrant uh, and therapy student, Dr. Amal Robardin, uh, who has come from Beirut, and she um, gets her first patient, who is a young schizophrenic, schizophrenic Iranian woman named Yasmin, and the experiences that Yasmin is starting to kind of recount in therapy are all too real, but Amal is kind of incapable of connecting with her patient and soon after Yasmin vanishes. And uh, while attempting to track her down, Amal finds herself in Carcosa and Nan goes on kind of a uh, interior psycho eldritch uh, <laughs> horror journey odyssey while being guided by uh, kind of a mysterious figure known as like, an, you know, I think he's the author um, and he uh, kind of guides her around and uh, basically just will they be okay? Question mark? <laughs> Is I it mean, eldritch horror? <laughs> it's an eldritch so horror, no, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll find out, I guess. <laughs> Anything to add, Marie? No, that's 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 what the writer do. You got it perfect. A plus. Nice. That's Thank what you. we got. And, and you said, Marie, uh, maybe you can um, verbally preview for us your art style. You said you you're a chaotic artist. How mm -hmm. does that manifest in this? You know, outside of flesh colored caves, was it? Flesh colored rocks. Um, rocks. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Uh, lots of landscapes, lots of um, landscapes in this Carcosa world and also in Brooklyn, because a lot of uh, the first half of the story takes place in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I've never thought about describing my art with words before, actually, so it feels really weird. <laughs> um, very jagged. Everything is jagged and everything is dark and everything is unsettling. Um, but which Marie which is perfectly appropriate for of, what you've described. Yeah. But Marie also uses kind of the color yellow throughout yeah. the entire book in like an incredibly yeah. kind of striking and atmospheric way. It's kind of like the king himself, kind of everywhere mm -hmm. and inescapable. Um, and and I guess we should mention that we are genuine. Yes, when we're talking about Carcosa and the king in yellow, like we're we're like actively engaging with Robert Chambers. <laughs> The king in yellow like that's who we were talking about mm -hmm. that's the author <laughs> you know like yeah. we're we're you know he shows up a lot and he was yeah. the yeah. hardest one to draw um out of all three of them because i think it was uh bierce lovecraft who no i lied lovecraft was the worst to draw um and then chambers chambers actually was i think the best one to draw now that i now that i rethink it now that i've Did lifted you, it off didn't you find like an, an interesting reference for lovecraft oh i found like, one where he was things. trying to smile like someone had asked him to smile once and it was like nice i don't like i know <laughs> i know that everyone is has 
beat the Lovecraft horse to death. I, I really don't care for him, like, as an author or as a person in any sort of respect. But also as, like, a figure to draw, he's very difficult because his face is, like, just like an oval. Just, like, just a flat oval. And it's just, for some reason, no matter where you place those features, they never look quite right. Throughout the entire book, he was the worst one to draw. <laughs> Unsettling. Unsettling. Todd, any final thoughts or questions? No, but uh, as as an individual who is, uh, like I said at the beginning, not not typically into horror, I'm actually quite excited to take a look at this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I also realized that something that we haven't talked about a lot, I guess, is and something that is at the core of this book also is that you know the character of Amal is a diaspora character. I'm an Arab. American and we and you know Marie did this incredible job kind of bringing like a lot of mosaic work and a lot of that into the book and I think it was important to us to um, include a lot of very specific kind of Arab imagery and characters at the forefront of this story, especially considering that often when you're engaging with eldritch texts as, you know, an Arab or as a non-white person generally, like, it's, it can be thorny, you know? Um, so I think that there was like a very specific uh, thing in this book that also is like, hey, this is also about like, you know, what happens when you internalize cultural things and that other people believe about you? Mm -hmm. What happens when you take on the gaze of someone that hates you and sees you as monstrous? Yeah. Interesting. You know? All right. Yeah. Well, uh, where Black Stars Rise is out on October 18th. So I hope people will mark their calendars and go check it out because it does sound very interesting. And at least the, the cover is interesting. You you showed me you've got the the actual yeah, you've got the prints here. ready to go. And, oh, yeah. Do you want to explain it for the people who can't see? That's not my job. It's I drew it. Well, so it's you the, all can the, do it. <laughs> Describe it to it's them. It's got the it's got the stars. It's got the jagged yeah. lines, and it's got the yellow, just like you both have been talking about. So yeah, on the back it has a pomegranate. Style. Just you know, just in case. Yeah. Those come up. <laughs> and honestly, even if you ignore everything in the word bubbles, just picking it up for Marie's art is worth there it. There you go. All right. Well, Marie and Nadia, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And it's uh, been a, a very interesting conversation. And I appreciate you doing it. I'm sorry for all the wheezing and the no. long breaths and the, oh, gosh. I didn't I just, hear I'm ready to go, wheezing at all. Yeah. I'm ready to go die. So <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for, uh, for for putting up with my uh, my cold and all that stuff. And for everybody listening, after you go pick up where Black Stars Rise, go to thelegendarium.com where you'll find the links to all of our stuff. Obviously, you know, we talk all the time about our Discord server, which is the friendliest place in the internet. Uh, we talk about our past episodes. You can search, uh, you know, by author, by subject. Uh, and then also the, the uh, link to our Patreon is there, of course. So go to thelegendarium.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Todd, Nadia, Marie, thank you for being on the episode. And I will talk to everybody next time. 